0: Book 6. Highway to Hell So, obviously, everyone knows that the best way to get to hell is to go and visit the Sibyl at Cumae. When the Trojans landed, most of them ran off to find food or something to make a fire with, you know, something sensible. But Aeneas, in his great piety, was above such trivial sources of life and went straight to Apollo's citadel. One lovely story goes that Daedalus, when he managed to free himself from Minos, came to this citadel first and dedicated the fantastic wings he'd constructed for himself and that had granted his freedom to Apollo. Shame, you know, about his son. Daedalus also built the entire temple and gave it ridiculously detailed doors that must have taken him so long it's a wonder he didn't feel like a prisoner at Cumae as well. The doors basically describe the myth of the Minotaur. Minos's son Androgeus was killed, so the Athenians had to pay up seven sons and seven daughters. The other door shows Pacify and the bull, which probably wasn't very pretty. And then the Minotaur in its labyrinth, along with Ariadne and Theseus with the thread. You know, as as the story goes, we all know the myth. Apparently, Daedalus wanted to add the fall of his son too but he was too racked with grief to illustrate Icarus. The Trojans would have gone on wasting time staring at the doors if Deiphobe, a priestess, hadn't arrived with Eccartes and reminded them all to hurry up and sacrifice a couple of bulls before the Sibyl got bored and went to bed. The Sibyl, by the way, did not reside in the temple. No. See, the ground was very rocky and one side had been hollowed out into a vast cavern which had a hundred tunnels and a hundred mouths giving a hundred answers. Yeah, the Sibyl knew how to put on a show all right. Aeneas arrived at the mouth of the cave and was about to speak when the Sibyl put a finger to his lips. Hush! He is here. The god is here. At that moment she transformed. Her cheeks drained of all colour and then flushed again. Her head fell down low, her eyes rolled in their sockets and her hair grew wild about her face and her chest heaved, bursting with agony and ecstasy all at once. She filled the room and then remained exactly where she was all at the same time. Get a move on with those bulls! A voice, not hers, nothing like any mortal spoke. Well, I'll not bother to hang around. Shit, sorry. Aeneas bowed his head, a shiver trembled down his spine. Apollo, Phoebus, Apollo, you've always helped us Trojans. You guided Paris to kill Achilles. You led us across the oceans. We're so close now. We have lost so much. Just get us there and I promise, I promise, that if you get us home and give us what fate allows... I will found you an enormous temple to Phoebus and Trivia, huge! I'll give you a load of holy days too, and uh, I'll make you a shrine with oracles and priests and everything, the lot. Though um, I'd like, you know, in return, I, w- I wouldn't mind some real answers, you know, not those bloody, you know, oops, sorry, yes, interpret it the wrong way, you get a whole kingdom falling ones, if that's okay, please. But Apollo wasn't finished with the Sybil yet the more she seemed to be trying to wrench herself free from his grasp the more tightly he held on and with this effort all hundred doors to the endless cave flew open you will reach lavinium but there will be more war more death endless suffering tortuous agony and sleepless nights, loads of blood. There will be a second Greek camp, another Achilles, more wrath from Juno. Once again, we'll put all the blame on a woman, another one who has to marry another stranger entering her land. You must be bold, son of Dardanus, and believe it or not, your road to salvation will begin with a Greek city. Apollo abandoned the Sibyl's body almost as rapidly as he'd entered it. Deary me, that was was quite a big one, the Sibyl wiped the foam from her mouth. Anyone for a cup of tea? I'd love one, Aeneas replied. I think I'll be needing it where I'm going. I've been told I need to go to Hades to visit my dad, and I heard you're the one to get me there. I don't know if I need to prove myself to you, I'm, I've not got the best CV, I keep forgetting to update it, but I've suffered just as much as Orpheus, or Theseus, or Hercules, and I have got a goddess for a mother. Sure thing. The sybil added some honey to her tea. Going down is easy enough. I go every Saturday, just for a bit of a chat with on. you know? It's finding your way back out that's a bit tricky. We'll need to get you a pass, though. Go and find the golden bough. You can offer that to Persephone, and uh, it'll only break off the tree for you if fate really does demand you visit Hades. Also, a mate of yours is floating around somewhere unburied. We can't have any unfinished business. And you need some black cows for sacrificing. They will be off. Aeneas finished his tea, took one of the biscuits the sibyl offered, and left her to collect her leaves. He and Acates were just discussing the frankly vague and uninspiring words when they found the body of their comrade Mycenas, son of Aeolus, on the shore. Supposedly, Triton drowned him for his audacity in professing to be able to blow a seashell better than the gods. Personally, I can't get any noise out of them, but I don't profess to be immortal, so, you know... Anyway, they buried him, lamented as was fit, and built him a little altar, as the sibyl suggested. (sighs) If only I knew where that bough was, Aeneas sighed. This place is made up of bloody trees. It'll take years. Conveniently, two doves, his mother's birds, appeared before him. What are the chances? Of course, they flew in the right direction and led him right to the bough where Aeneas broke off the branch with some difficulty, which doesn't really quite fit with the Sibyl's story, does it? And he could be heard yelling to the sky, Cheers, Mum, I owe you one. While Aeneas had been away, the Trojans had made an enormous pyre for Mycenas, and the place of his tomb would actually become Mount Mycenas that the Romans must have been familiar with. Aeneas himself went to a deep, dark, suitably foreboding cave named Aeonus, Greek for the place without birds, where the sibyl was waiting. Here, she prepared four black bulls, pouring wine on their heads and plucking them, you know, like you do, before calling on Hecate. Attendants killed the bulls and caught the blood in bowls, and Aeneas himself killed a black lamb specially for night and earth, and a cow for Persephone, all of whom were thrilled, I'm sure, with these gifts. He made a little altar for Hades then, and no sooner had he done so than the earth began to quake. The sibyl shoved back the attendants and grabbed Aeneas's arm. Get out! Get out! You're all unsanctified! Get your sword out ready, Aeneas! Oh, this is my favourite bit! Fab! Off we go! And she skipped down into hell. They walked on in darkness for what felt like an eternity. The halls of the kingdom were deserted, but Aeneas could feel the shadows all about them like walking through a forest without moonlight at night. At the entrance hall to Hell, you'll find grief, revenge, old age, disease, fear, hunger, poverty, death, drudgery, war, the furies, discord, a tree of idle dreams, and a whole host of other lovely monsters such as Scylla, harpies, and the Hydra of Lerna, all waiting to give you a warm welcome into the afterlife. Aeneas, naturally, drew his sword. Oh, don't bother the Sibyl said gently, pushing the sword down. They won't hurt you. They're only ghosts. Here, just around all this friendly bunch, is where we find the river of Tartarus, made up of slime and whirlpools and guarded by Charon. His deep-set eyes are lit only by flames. He wears a ragged, filthy cloak knotted at one shoulder, and he never trims his beard. But, as I'm sure you'll all agree from living through lockdown, who can blame him? Hardly like he's going out any time soon, is it? Charon, as you may know, is the ferryman of the River Styx, pushing the dead along in his boat the colour of burnt iron. He's about as ancient as withered as you can possibly get, but being immortal, he finds this doesn't really bother him very much. The riverbank was thronged with desperate ghosts clamouring to board his boat. Mothers, men, bold heroes, young boys, unmarried girls, young men who died before their parents, as many bodies as leaves that shudder to the ground in the first clutches of autumn, or as many birds that migrate to warmer climates with the coming of winter. Caron didn't much give a toss, though, and was irritably poking some of them away with his oar. What's he doing? Aeneas whispered. Staring horror-struck at the ghosts as Cairon swore loudly at them. Why doesn't he take them all? They're unburied, Aeneas. Cairon can only take those whose bones have been laid to rest. That's why we make such a fuss about burials. If you reach the shores of the Styx unburied, you have to wander for a hundred years before you can try to cross again. It's quite a bore. The ghost of Palinurus, then, pushed his way to the front. Palinurus! What happened? Aeneas called out. Apollo never said you were going to die. But, then again, Apollo doesn't really tell me much. Nowadays. Are any of us meant to die, Aeneas? Palinurus raised an eyebrow. No, I was dragged off the ship that night we left Sicily by some strange force. I floated around for four days, I reckon, and I reached Italy. Looks lovely, by the way. But a bunch of arseholes found me and killed me. All I've done since is worry about you and your ships without me. Do me a favour, will you? Either bury me or take me on with you wherever you're going right now. It's awfully crowded here and I've always been a bit claustrophobic. You've got no chance yet, hun. The Sybil made to pat him on the arm, but her fingers went right through him. "'Ups, Zos. Always forget that. "'The fates can't be changed, but you'll be buried eventually. "'I can I can see it in your future, and you'll get a tomb, "'and your name will live on as their city, "'so that makes up for it a bit, doesn't it?' "'Luckily, this cheered him up, and Palinurus wandered off. "'Aeneas and the Sibyl made their way down to the front of the riverbank "'and looked out at Charon, who was midway across the river.' No, 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 no. Who do you think you are? This is no place for the living. I'm still enough shit for taking Hercules across and letting that sodding dog out. No, no more, no. Piss right off. Off you go. No, all you mortals do is cause me trouble. No, 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 no. Afternoon, Kevin. The Sibyl called back cheerfully. It's all right. Aeneas here just wants to visit his dad. It's no biggie. And look! I bought a present. She whipped out the golden bough. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Hop on. Move along now, move along. Caron paddled across faster than he ever had in his immortal life and knocked a few ghosts out of the way to make sure there was enough room for Aeneas and the Sibyl to board the tiny boat. It quivered under Aeneas's weight, but he's our hero, so of course it floated along just fine. Imagine if it had sunk. That'd be a bit of a disaster, wouldn't it? As they reached the other side, Kerberus, the fearsome guard dog of Hades with three heads surrounded by writhing snakes, began to bark. "'Hey, bubba!' the sibyl waved, and chucked at several heavily drugged honey cakes into his kennel. "'Good boy!' she said, almost fondly, as he gobbled them up and passed out. "'The grass here, if we can call it that, was marshy, and once Kerberus had stopped making so much noise, the sounds of wailing babies who had died too soon could be heard on all sides. There were also those who had been condemned to death on false charges, though Minos might give them another chance in the afterlife courtroom. Then there were those who had committed suicide, and those who had died of a broken heart that even death cannot heal. Phaedra, Procris, Evifil... Evadne, Pasiphae, Cineus, and Laodamia all passed Aeneas by. And then there was Dido. And then Aeneas stopped breathing and wondered if he was dead himself. No, he said, quietly. No, Dido I refuse to believe it. What what did you what have you done? The wounds were still fresh on her cloak still soaked with blood. I told you, I told you, it wasn't my choice. I have no life now. The gods dictate my every movement, my every thought. I never wanted to leave you. I had no idea you would, but... No, wait. Please don't go. Don't leave me, Dido, please. I'll never get to see you again. Please, just talk to me. Aeneas, unashamedly sobbing, as emotional as he had ever been in this epic so far. He might as well have been addressing a statue. Dido refused to look at him, refused any reaction, and she turned away, returning to Sychias, who comforted her grief with his grief and her love with his love. She left Aeneas standing there, arms limp by his sides, tears staining his cheeks and gazing after her long after she had vanished. The sibyl pushed him on. They next found the field of dead, brave warriors. They came across a whole host of fallen Trojans, Adrastus, Medon, Polybotes. They crowded Aeneas, tried to touch him, to delay him, to know why he was there. The dead Greeks were there too, but they made themselves scarce. Diphobus, one of the sons of Priam, was there, though with his mutilated body his hands in pieces, his ears gone and his nose cut away. Aeneas almost didn't recognise him. Dear Zeus, what happened to you? I made you a tomb, but we never did find your body. Don't worry, you did enough. Diophobus managed something that was meant to be a smile. This was my fate. It was all Helen's doing. That night, when Troy fell... Helen was pretending to be worshipping Bacchus and leading the women around, but the torch she was brandishing was a signal to the Greeks. You know she was handed over to me after Paris died. Well, when I was asleep, she hid all my armour, she hid my sword, threw open the doors to Menelaus, I guess hoping for this he'd better take her back. You can guess what happened next. But that's old news. What are you doing here? I thought you were meant to be, you know, leading our descendants to their destiny or something like that. They had a jolly good chin wag until the Sybil elbowed Aeneas sharply in the ribs. We don't have much time, Aeneas. Better get a wiggle on. You can chat when you're dead. The road divides here: left for Tartarus, hell, and right for Elysium, heaven. Sorry, priestess. Diophobus tried to clap Aeneas on the shoulder and passed right through him, again. Don't let me hold up the fate of a nation. Aeneas looked to his left, to Tartarus. There was a city circled by a triple wall, washed by a river of great lava and boulders. The entrance was gated, and Siphony sprawled on top of the high tower in the middle, suitably coated in blood, guarding the citadel day and night. They could hear groaning, whips lashing, the clanking of iron chains from inside. "'What the hell is that?' Aeneas asked. "'Precisely that,' the sibyl replied, but she continued when Aeneas looked confused. "'It's literally hell. Badamanthus, the king of Knossos, is in charge, "'and he decides the punishment for, well, those who deserve to be punished for their mortal acts.' Siphony beats everyone up for whatever they've done. The Furies get involved and so does the 50-headed Hydra. all gets a bit messy, I've heard. Tartarus itself stretches down into the darkness of Earth twice as far as we might spot Olympus in the clouds. It's a good place for Zeus to keep those pesky Titans. Salmonius is down there, the one who pretended to be Zeus himself. Idiot. Then Titius with that vulture who endlessly pecks his stomach to death. The Lapiths are there, I think, and Ixion, and pirithous with that massive boulder, you know him. There are endless feasts too that starving men can only stare at but never taste. The Furies like those. Down there are those who hated their family, who killed their fathers, the greedy and the wicked, the adulterous, there's lots of those. Those who marched against their own people, those who sold their kingdoms for greater wealth, those who slept with their daughters, those who went against the gods. Long story short, it's a bit nasty. I could natter on all day. Come on. They reached the threshold of Elysium, presented the golden bough that the sibyl must have nicked off Chiron when he wasn't looking, and crossed into the beautiful, blissful woodland of the Blessed. Elysium was literally the Roman dream. It had its own sun and stars. There you could wrestle, dance, sing and rejoice to your heart's content. There were chariots and swords strewn carelessly around and the horses roamed free as the Trojan ancestors feasted and just had a fab time. Here we have the men who died for their country, devoted priests, "'Men who have brought great achievements for humankind. "'I mean, what did the Trojans ever do for us?' "'All right, all right, back off. "'Give us a bit of air.' "'These men, adorned with white sacred ribbons, "'had gathered around them, and the Sibyl tried to push them back. "'Have any of you seen Anchises? "'Generally bearded, generic old man. "'Slept with Venus a couple of times.' Museus, a hero, pointed down to a valley, bathed in golden light. Of course. Try down there. We go where we please. Of course, Anchises was wandering amongst the souls at the foot of the glorious mountain, basically doing some kind of holy census. You got my message! He came running towards Aeneas, his arms outstretched, and had to blow his nose on his pristine sleeve. Oh, how I've missed you! "'I never thought you'd make it, no offence, but here you are. "'Can I get you a cup of tea?' "'It's so good to see you,' Aeneas replied. "'He stepped forward to try and hug his father. Three times he tried to put his arms around him, "'and three times the ghost slipped through his fingers, just like Kruta.' What's, "'What's that?' Aeneas wiped his eyes and pointed at the river Leth "'that flowed between the homes and the fields.' Souls flutter around its edges like bees. "'Oh, them!' Anchises waved a hand carelessly. "'They're owed a second life by fate. "'They drink from the river and forget their past selves "'and go back up to the mortal world!' "'Who in their right mind would want to do that?' asked Aeneas. "'Oh, I must have told you this story before "'when you were a baby, don't you remember?' Once it was spirit and mind who mixed together to create all living things. They have fire within them, giving them hopes and fears, loves and miseries. But these ancient bodies that were created have ancient sins attached and are to roam the mortal world forever. So when souls leave them, all they have are their own penalties to pay down here. A couple of us are more privileged and get to stay forever, but most of them just get a thousand years and go back up. Do you see what I mean? Not really, said Aeneas. What did you do to make you so special? Anchises didn't seem to hear him. Come on, let me remind you what this is all about. He led Aeneas and the Sibyl a little further away. Here's Silvius, an alban name that he'll be your next son born after you die. So take him in now while you can. Fine specimen of a warrior, isn't he? He'll found Alba Longa. Then there's Procas, Capes, Numitor, and Silvius Aeneas. They'll create great cities that don't even exist yet. Do you see Romulus over there? With the double crest honoring him, you know, there on his forehead. He's the result of a bit of a naughty altercation between Mars and Ilia. He'll found Rome. The city that will rise even to Olympus, and that will be blessed by seven citadels. And over there, more of your family. Was this blatant enough for you, Augustus? Caesar, all the sons of Iulus, and saving the best till last, Augustus, son of a god, the man to bring the golden years back to Rome, to restore peace, to extend Rome's empire beyond the stars, beyond the sun, beyond Atlas. Anchises was wheezing with excitement, and Virgil was probably relieved when this passage was over. Goodness, I need a glass of water. Where was I? Yes. Cities will tremble at his name. The Nile will recoil. Neither Hercules nor Bacchus had so many triumphs. Oh, and I can't forget the rest of the seven kings after Romulus. See, Livy for the full version. Numa, he's the old one, bringing in laws. Then... Tullus with battle. Ancus, bit arrogant. And the Tarquins, not sure where Septimius has gone. Oh, and Brutus, the founder of the Republic. And for the complete abridged version of Livy's history, we have the Deci, the Druses, Horcatus, and Camillus, and the battles that will rage. It will be fantastic. Fabulous elephants. This one will kill Achilles' descendant. There's Cato, the Gracchi, the Fabi, the Scipios. I mean, it really is endless. I'm sure if he'd been alive at the time, Cicero would have been wanting to know where his name was. The Romans will govern the people of the world. They will defeat the proud and they will bring peace. Gosh, I knew could do with a bit of a sit down. Anchises mumbled. Oh, and there's Marcellus. Can't forget him. Who's that, who's that bloke next to him? Um, The one looking a bit glum, you know, in the shade. Aeneas asked. Oh... Oh, that's the other Marcellus, the second one, a bit confusing. He's only here because he died around the time this was published and it was a bit emotional. Don't, don't ask me to begin the suffering! And then, either from exhaustion or emotion, Anchises burst into a loud mix of wailing and sobbing, and Aeneas and the Sybil had to wait patiently for him to calm down. Once he had, Anchises walked with them to the end of Elysium, reminding Aeneas of all the glory that was to come, and see it would all be worth it in the end. Well, you know, for everyone else. There are two gates of sleep. One is the gate of Horn, for true ghosts, and the other is the gate of Ivory, where false dreams are sent to the mortal world. For some reason, Aeneas and Sibyl left through this gate, after Aeneas waved goodbye to his father for the final time. The sibyl gave Aeneas another biscuit as he left her cave, and then he and his men set off for Italy.